Have you ever seen your favorite biohacking or lifestyle guru wear these orange blue light blocking glasses when they're giving a keynote or doing a TV interview? Let me tell you why that's BS and what are the real use cases of actually using blue light blocking glasses. Stay tuned to this episode of Jeff Talk. For this week's Jeff Talk, we'll be talking about three topics that I found interesting this week. Of course, we'll be breaking down the science and data of blue light blocking glasses and how I personally use them in my everyday life. We'll also be talking about the new Lifespan book from Professor David Sinclair. And lastly, we'll be talking about the concept of pulsing, what that means and why it might be of benefit to pulse interventions like sleep, like exercise, like diet, like nutrition, on and off to get the best possible effect of these interventions. Let's get into it. Blue blocking glasses. If you've been in the biohacker or health and wellness world, you've probably seen influencers of various types shill all sorts of these types of glasses over the last couple of years. I've been playing around with them and until recently, I just haven't spent the time really digging into the literature and grokking the mechanisms of why these glasses might be useful. Now that I'm armed with the latest literature and actually has some time to collect some N equals one data around this, both with sleep and some subjective feeling about it, I can give you the first iteration of my framework of how I use blue light blocking glasses. Okay, let's start from the top. What's the core idea behind these types of glasses? As we spend more and more of a time indoors and more and more time in front of screens, we get a lot of light into our eyes through LEDs. And LEDs are light emitting diodes that generate a lot of their light in the blue wavelength. This is light at the wavelength of between 380 to 500 nanometers. Visible light as a whole from ultraviolet blue to red infrared goes from about 380 to 720 nanometers. Now, normal sunlight has a decently even distribution of intensity of visible light. So you're getting an equal spread of blue to red, roughly. Incandescent lights, your old school light bulbs have higher on the red intensity and lower on the blue intensity. LEDs, very, very big spike on the blue spectrum. From a physiological mechanistic perspective, blue light, especially that between 460 and 480 nanometers, triggers a photopigment called melanopsin in the retina. And melanopsin excites specialized nerve cells in the retina called intrinsically photoreceptive retinal ganglion cells, IP, RGC, and these cells help the brain understand whether it's day or night. Now this controls all sorts of downstream effects like the pineal gland releasing melatonin and probably all sorts of things that we don't all fully understand yet. So now you see the potential problem. If you're staring at an LED screen late into the night, the hypothesis here is that now you're triggering daylight signals when you're really trying to fall asleep. So the solution potentially is blue blocking glasses be able to block the wavelengths that stimulate melanopsin. And all this makes reasonable mechanistic theoretical sense so far. Now let's get into the best practices and what is really overhyped. Something that kind of annoys me are all the people who wear them while they're out and about not looking at a screen during the day. You see some biohacker types give keynote speeches or take TV interviews wearing these glasses. What are you doing? Are you just doing some sort of performance art? I've seen no data or even a scientific or hypothetical rationale on why you'd want to be blocking blue 24 seven. What do I actually use blue blockers for? I actually have three pairs, one at the office, one next to the bed, and one that I throw in my bag. I use these ones that I got for about eight, nine bucks, super cheap. 
throw them in there and uh, I don't care about the look or fashion statement. This is just pure utility for me. The main use case for me is using this at night when I'm looking at screens. I regularly read articles and do research or write emails and memos at night. Just a part of my life. And sometimes I like to relax a little bit before bed with a podcast or a TV show. And when I do that, I'll pop these blue blockers on. This is not a controlled trial, but my N equals one sleep data that I track with my Ring or my Apple Watch does show better sleep efficiency and less wake-ups over the course of the night. Might be placebo, but I believe I subjectively do feel more rested. This is also reflected in a solid clinical trial conducted at Columbia University published in 2018. 14 individuals wore blue light-blocking amber lenses or clear placebo lenses in lightweight wraparound frames for two hours immediately preceding bedtime for seven consecutive nights in a randomized controlled crossover trial with a four-week washout period. Reported wake time was significantly delayed and mean subjective total sleep time, overall quality and soundness of sleep were significantly higher with P less than 0.05 in amber versus clear lenses over the seven-day intervention period. The researchers concluded, quote, wearing amber versus clear lenses for two hours preceding bedtime for one week improved sleep in individuals with insomnia symptoms. These findings have health relevance given the broad use of light emitting devices before bedtime and the prevalence of insomnia. Amber lenses represent a safe, affordable, and easily implemented therapeutic intervention for insomnia symptoms. I tend to agree. Look, there's a lot of metadata and meta-analysis out there as well, but I think this was one of the best studies that really controlled for the data here. Again, some secondary use cases is that I've been also using it in the office when I have to stare at a computer screen for hours. Now, this is less studied in the clinic, but I do subjectively feel more comfortable with my, with my eye comfort. And honestly, because these are so cheap, less than 10 bucks, it's just really easy to have it on my office desk. So I really use it as a gotcha insurance. Now, just important to know when I use it is when I don't use it. And when I don't use these is I never use this when I'm out and about when I'm not looking at a screen. Again, there's no rational why blue light during daytime hours is a very natural phenomenon and a very natural part of the daylight nighttime experience. So my conclusion here is blue light blockers are a go for a couple use cases for many of us living in a screen world. You can get them for really cheap. Don't wear them when you're not looking at a screen because those people are just really just trying too hard. Don't be like that. Now let's move on to the second topic, David Sinclair's new book. If you're really into longevity research, you've probably heard of Professor David Sinclair over at Harvard. He's big into sirtuin activators and NID precursors. And sirtuins, if you need a reminder, are proteins that play a role in mediating longevity. And NAD is a metabolite, a key metabolite in the Krebs or ATP cycle. For those that have been following me, you know that longevity is an area that I'm really interested in researching and learning more about. And I'm personally very excited about the potential of ketones via either diet or fasting or through exogenous ketones like ketone esters as a key mediator for various longevity pathways. So I got my copy of Lifespan here. Pretty entertaining writing so far and I've actually been following some of the recent podcasts that he's done on Joe Rogan and Peter Tia. And it sounds like one of the key ideas he presents is discussing longevity and aging under an information theory context. Now, information theory as pioneered by Claude Shannon is an area of my personal specialization that I did for my undergraduate degree in computer science at Stanford. So it's very interesting to come full circle here from my computer science background where I have formal training and how biology is plugging back into some of those 
mathematical frameworks. Information theory is simply a mathematical way to look at how information can be stored, compressed, and transmitted, and defining mathematical structure around what's possible and what's not possible. Now, biology is essentially a storage, compression, and transmission of information, whereas that information is our genetic code. If there's more interest, and as I read the book and I have some meat to really digest and break down, I'm gonna do another follow-up Jeff talk, or maybe a standalone episode where I really dig into the mathematical information theory discussion around how it can be thought of in terms of a longevity concept. Let me know if that's something you're interested in. Leave a comment below and I'll dig in and make sure to take really good notes and have some good discussion topics to bring up. However, one thing as I've been skimming and, and, and looking at the book as I flip through is that in the index, you see that Sinclair discusses calorie restriction and fasting many times, but the term ketosis or ketones don't make it in the index. Again, I haven't read the book, so you might talk a lot about ketones, but I'm really surprised that that term doesn't make the index. Some research, including myself, believe that ketones are the key mediator of why calorie restriction and fasting works. Now, calorie restriction and fasting are very, very complicated interventions. So many things are happening in the body when that happens. Now, I'm not claiming that ketones are the only mediator of what happens in calorie restriction and fasting, but I do think it's absolutely a key one. For example, I think a couple of the key insights and observations around why ketones are so important relate to the NAD-NADH ratio and how ketosis affects that ratio very different from other metabolic pathways. Now that ratio, in some estimation, might be a key factor that drives some of the longevity pathways. And also, I like the data around histone deacetylase inhibition. Now histones, as we recall, are molecules that bind up and unwind DNA. So if there's something that can affect that process, again, very interesting from a longevity anti-aging perspective. So a lot of things are going on, it's very complicated, and no one knows how the full system interacts. Not me, not any professor, it's very complicated. The idea of pulsing interventions was one thing Dave Sinclair talked about on both podcasts of Joe Rogan and Peter Tia. And when I did Jeff Talk episode two, I covered a recent study on metformin blunting the metabolic benefit and adaptation caused by exercise. And one thing that I was really glad to hear and impressed to hear was that Sinclair actually changed his personal metformin supplement strategy after the study came out. As I understand it, he used to take metformin every or close to every day, and now he's only taking metformin on recovery days when he's not exercising, so it doesn't cancel out the benefits of his exercise. I'm really glad to see that he's not dogmatic and has evolved his personal routines as new data comes in. That's a proper scientist. You test hypotheses and they evolve as new data comes in. And again, to summarize my thinking, I'm personally not convinced that metformin has benefit for longevity and anti-aging if the person has a good diet, meaning good glucose control, closer to a low-carb ketogenic diet, and does regular exercise. I'm open to the notion that it might be useful for longevity if one has a bad diet and doesn't exercise. For me personally, I'd rather have a low-carb diet and exercise than use metformin for this use case. The main takeaway here is that human physiology is an insanely complicated system. And I think that we have to realize that we're gonna get stuff wrong, but being wrong is the only way to make progress to fully understanding a system in the future. Now, we move on to the third and final topic, the pulsing framework. Pulsing is a good framework to apply into almost every aspect of life. We've talked about cyclical training and cyclical diets on this program before with different physiology and sports science experts. We learn about how to best cycle 
training load up and down to peak for races and peak for recovery, and food in very much the same way. So to make this a little bit more concrete, fasting is really essentially a pulse of non-consumption in a world of constant food consumption. Exercise is a pulse of movement in a world of non-movement. One thing that I think demands more attention is overall mental health. We need to be smart about pulsing the information that all of our brains could receive every single day. We now live in a world with 24-7 news cycles and constant social media. And I'd say that we're all always mildly anxious. We're worried about climate change. We're worried about geopolitics, trade war, gun violence, homelessness. And it's a nonstop repeating cycle. There's always something to be worried about. And this is honestly likely not good for mental health. Just like with food and exercise, we want to pulse those inputs. We probably want to be pulsing information and anxiety as well. I think some people might say that meditation is the answer to that, but I'm not convinced that a meditation session of 15 minutes at the start of the day is really enough of a pulse. I'm sorry to say it, but I think most people that talk about meditation is more akin to the people that are performing with blue blocking glasses. Doing a 15 minute meditation session is akin to doing a 15 minute fast or a 15 minute workout. I haven't solved this problem personally and I have no data to justify this. But I suspect that we do need extended periods of time to unplug away from the 24-7 news cycles. I really like American productivity. We're constantly go, go, go. But the holiday and vacation culture is pretty harsh. Many of the Europeans I meet over travel, travel for six, eight weeks a year. That's a pretty solid time to decompress. But on the other hand, we also have to realize that that might be one of the cultural problems where European economies are losing competitiveness where Americans and the Chinese, where people are go, 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 are winning the global economy. I think this begs a key question. How do we be happy individuals in a capitalist economic structure? That's an important question that we should all ask ourselves as the world changes around us. A couple weeks ago, I traveled to Southeast Asia and I had pretty good connectivity. But a year ago, I actually did a safari in Tanzania where I didn't have connectivity. Both were incredible experiences, both were about a couple weeks long, but I felt much more rested and relaxed after coming back from safari versus being in Southeast Asia. And I think a big part of it was really the connectivity. While being on safari, looking at elephants and giraffes and lions, I didn't have the urge or the, even the ability to check social media or check the news. But in Southeast Asia, again, I had the chance to go in the Bornean jungle. Unfortunately, or fortunately, had access to the internet and 3G and 4G and LTE. It was hard for me to overcome the, 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 the instinct to check in on email or check in on what the team was doing at HVMN headquarters. Me checking in was probably better for my company's Productivity, maybe not, but it, there was some productivity out of that. Uh, but that might have detracted from my overall happiness as an individual. That's a trade-off that I think the world is still coming to a grasp with. We covered a lot of ground on this episode of Jeff Talk. And before you go, we were targeting 20,000 subscribers. And once we hit that, we're going to do an awesome giveaway. Well, as you can see, we breached through that 20,000 and on our way to 100,000. We're giving away a three pack of HVMN ketone ester and a full Nutribox full stack. Post in the comments below and we'll select one lucky winner to win that giveaway prize. Give me your thoughts on either blue light glasses, Dave Sinclair's new lifespan book, or the concept of pulsing and how we best incorporate that into our life. As always, please like and subscribe and share to your friends if you find it useful. It really means a lot to me, producer Zill, and the rest of the team at HVMN. Thanks so much. 
Talk to you soon and keep stimulating your brain.